0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Crime Talk with TNZ. I'm Rhiannon. And I'm Ellie. Make sure that wherever you're listening to us that you hit that follow or subscribe
1: button and tell all your friends to listen to us. If you're listening to us on Apple, make sure you leave us a five-star review and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CrimeTalkTCZ. We'd really appreciate it.
0: Today we are going to talk about the disappearance and unsolved murder of Dorothy Scott. In 1980, Dorothy Scott was a single mom living in Stanton, California, with her aunt and four-year-old son, Sean. She was a secretary for two jointly-owned Anaheim stores, one that sold psychedelic items like love beads and lava lamps, and the other store was a head shop.
1: I don't think I've ever heard of this, and I might sound dumb, but what is a head shop?
0: A head shop is like a smoke shop. Okay, okay. Her co-workers and friends would describe her as someone who preferred staying at home, was a devout Christian, and did not drink or do drugs. She was someone who was a nice person, a good person. Dorothy's brother even said that Dorothy was the definition of the word give, that she would give and give and give no matter what it cost her. Her parents, who lived in Anaheim, were a big part of her life. They had a great relationship with her. They babysat their grandson while Dorothy worked. Each evening, Dorothy would pick up her son and drive back home where she would cook dinner. And they would either watch cartoons or she would read him a book. Dorothy's father, Jacob, said Dorothy dated from time to time, but had no steady boyfriend that the family knew of, and her main concern was just giving her son the best life possible.
1: She just really sounds like an all-around amazing woman, devoted mother. You did say that she dated from time to time. Was her husband, her son's father, he wasn't in the picture anymore?
0: He lives in another state, but I couldn't find anything that said that they had ill world towards each other. Okay. They just, they separated. Mm, valid. Months before she was abducted and murdered, Dorothy started getting anonymous phone calls from a guy. She told her mother that the guy's voice sounded very familiar, but she couldn't remember who he was. She couldn't put a name to the voice. That's weird, man the man would call her and he would tell her that he loved her but then in other calls he would say that he wanted to kill her he told her he had been stalking her and was able to tell her what she had done that day and even what she was wearing i don't like that i don't like that one bit no one day he called her and told her to go outside because he had something for her And on the windshield of her car was a single dead rose. What
1: would you do if you had a dead rose on the windshield of your
0: car? Because... Call the police. I, I would freak out. I would freak out too. One call in particular really scared her. He said that he would be able to get her alone and that he could cut her into bits so no one would find her.
1: That's terrifying.
0: After that call, Dorothy considered buying a handgun, but... Then decided not to because she was scared maybe Sean would get it, her son, so she decided just to start taking karate classes, self-defense classes instead.
1: That's understandable. Statistically, when you have a a firearm in a a household with a child, they're more likely to get hurt. Um, But did she ever report the calls to the police of the stalking? She was clearly being followed.
0: I read article after article trying to figure that out and I couldn't find anywhere that said that she made a police report. And I think it's because stalking actually wasn't considered a crime until 1990. So even if she tried to tell someone, I don't think she would have been taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And the phone calls during that time, if police wanted to figure out the location of a caller, switchboard workers and operators would be used, and it would take a while, so it wasn't immediate.
1: Obviously we weren't alive at that time, but back then it's what, payphones, landlines, I don't even know if beepers were a thing in the 80s, but I remember them being a thing in the 90s, and even then that's not a vocal conversation, and cell phones weren't a thing, it's not the technology we have now.
0: Yeah, no, Um, and he never used like a beeper or anything, he only did phone calls, so again, they, couldn't, they wouldn't have been able to figure it out. Wow. May 28th, 1980 started out as your typical day for Dorothy. She took her son to her parents' house and then went to work. At 9 p.m. during a work meeting, very late work meeting,
1: yeah. she,
0: she noticed that one of her co-workers, Conrad Boschen, didn't look very well and that he had a red mark on his arm. Dorothy and another coworker, Pam Heed, left the meeting and took Conrad to the emergency room at UC Irvine Medical Center. Medical personnel determined that Conrad had been bitten by a black widow spider. Yeah. So they treated him then. Dorothy and Pam, meanwhile, waited in the ER waiting room. At around 11pm, Conrad was discharged. Dorothy offered to get the car and pick them up at the exit and while she was doing that, Conrad and Pam filled his prescription. After a few minutes of waiting, they decided to go to the ER's parking lot. They suddenly saw Dorothy's car rushing towards them at full speed and the high beams were on so they weren't able to see who was behind the wheel. They waved their hands to get her attention but the car just sped right past them and exited out of the parking lot. Pam and Conrad thought maybe there was some type of emergency with Sean and that's why Dorothy left suddenly so they just decided to wait. They waited two hours and when she didn't return, Pam called Dorothy's parents and asked if they had seen her. They said they hadn't seen her since before they went to the hospital because Dorothy decided to make a quick stop at her parents' house, check on Sean, and then take Conrad. So they hadn't seen her since then. When they realized that They didn't know where she was and Pam didn't know where she was. They decided to call the police and report her missing. On May 29th, at around 4.30 a.m., Dorothy's white 1973 Toyota station wagon was found in an alley about 10 miles from the hospital on fire.
1: Was Dorothy's body inside the car?
0: No, neither her or her kidnapper were anywhere nearby. Several search parties were conducted in the following days, but they couldn't find anything.
1: It makes me wonder if the car was set on fire to get rid of some sort of evidence. Po-
0: I mean, possibly. Setting a car on fire brings a lot of attention. Yeah, it's
1: not really an inconspicuous thing. It's not, like,
0: ah. yeah. it's not like you're just trying to dump the car and then move on. You set it on fire. It was going to get attention. Of course, yeah. A week after she was taken, her parents started receiving phone calls from a man with a disguised voice who would say, I've got her, and then hang up. The same man would call usually every Wednesday and he would say that he either had Dorothy or he had killed Dorothy. And the calls were very brief and only happened when Vera, Dorothy's mom, was home alone. So their phones were tapped, but he never stayed on long enough for them to be traced. These calls lasted years and only stopped in April of 1984 when Jacob answered.
1: And then all of these phone calls, did he ever say why he had her or why he killed her? And also, this guy also got the parent's phone number. I mean, she yeah. didn't live with her parents. But there were
0: phone books back then. <sighs> so he never told his her parents why he had her or why he killed her. The only like reasonable motive or possible motive came up in June of 1980 because a newspaper called the Orange County Register ran a story on Dorothy Hmm. on her disappearance and the family actually pulled together $2,500 as a reward for anybody that could provide information on her whereabouts so on the day that they published the story June 12th, a man called and told the managing editor, I killed her I killed Dorothy Scott She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her.
1: So this is definitely uh, someone that, you know, you said she dated from time to time, but nothing was ever too serious. Maybe it was somebody that knew her or somebody that became infatuated and obsessed with her.
0: It's possible. He also gave um, the editor details that nobody would know because they hadn't been published or released to the public. Like that conrad had suffered a spider bite the night of may 28th that dorothy had been wearing a red scarf which she had been wearing a black scarf all that day on may 28th and only when she went to her parents house to check on sean before the hospital did she switch to a red one so she changed obviously and that's
1: that's such a specific and minute detail That it clearly shows that he was stalking her. He was watching her every move and what she was up to all day.
0: And he knew that she was at the hospital, which is where she was taken from. (laughs) And
1: only two people were with her at the hospital. And one of them was with her. Well, they were both with her the whole time. But you know that Conrad didn't do this because he was indisposed.
0: He also claimed that Dorothy had called him that night from the hospital.
1: Did she, though? Like, was that confirmed?
0: Pam disputes that claim, totally. She's like, there's no way Dorothy was with me the whole time in the waiting room. At at no point did she use the phone.
1: Well, she said that the voice was familiar. Could it have been her son's father?
0: He was investigated and questioned. However, he had an airtight alibi, and he had been in his home state of Missouri at the time, so he was ruled out of a suspect. Plus, Mm -hmm. I mean... It was. It, that's her ex-husband's voice. That's the father of her child. I'm pretty sure she would be able to recognize him.
1: I totally agree. And unless he was living in California and she had no idea, like, there's no, no, no physical way for him to have been able to stalk her or be on top of her or anything like that.
0: No. And like I said, you don't forget that type of voice. Yes. Yeah, like, you know? I wouldn't forget my boyfriend's voice. As days turned into months, and months turned into years. Dorothy's family had no idea what happened to her until August 6th of 1984. That's four years later. Yeah. Off of Santa Ana Road, which is 13 miles from the hospital, a construction worker found dog remains. And when he continued digging, he also found human remains. Oh, No. Which, with dental records, they were able to determine was Dorothy. The remains were partly charred, and Dorothy's wristwatch and turquoise ring were found. Her watch had stopped at 12.30 a.m. on May 29, 1980, an hour after her disappearance. They couldn't determine a cause of death because of the state of remains.
1: She was there all along, and you said her car was found... 10 miles from the hospital in an alley and then 13 miles from the hospital was her body. So she wasn't that far from the car either
0: three, four miles maybe. Yeah. And uh, authorities couldn't confirm that she had been there all four years, but they definitely knew that she was there for at least two because a brush fire had swept across that site, across that area in 1982. A picture I saw from an old newspaper the area was very full of, like, high bushes and high grass. So even if, let's say, she had been there all four years, to, like, see her off the road would have been really hard. Really
1: difficult. Yeah. And even even if she was there for the last two years it's possible, this guy killed her, set her car on fire to, like, get people off his trail, and then dumped her body.
0: I think he just liked attention, though. Possibly. I mean, all the phone calls and stuff...
1: Yeah, like he, he wanted people to know what he was up to, but he didn't want to be caught, obviously.
0: After her remains were found, the phone calls from the same unidentified man started again. He would call her parents and never stayed on long enough to be traced. Unlike before, however, the calls didn't last years. He only called a few times and then they stopped.
1: And after all this time, they still didn't have answers and they didn't know who he
0: was. No. They had a hunch on one guy, but they only had circumstantial evidence against him. His name um, is Mike Butler. Mike Butler was the brother of one of Dorothy's coworkers. And it was said that he was obsessed with her. He was obsessed with Dorothy. He was apparently very unstable and was into cults.
1: That doesn't instill much confidence. She did say that she recognized the voice. If she met him because of the coworker, That would make sense as to why she couldn't name him since he was just an
0: acquaintance. Yeah. That's it. That's what I think also, and I'm going to take it a step further. For him only calling the parents' house when the mom was home, I think it's because Jacob would sometimes work at her job as a handyman, so it's possible that they had met and he didn't want her dad to also recognize his voice.
1: If he was unstable and obsessive, like people say, that could also go with the stalking. And didn't he say he cheated? Maybe taking Conrad to the hospital is what he saw as her cheating.
0: If it's possible if he's really, or it's possible if he was really as unstable as people are saying, like all the interviews and stuff that I saw, he could have, you know, made this relationship up in his mind. And yeah. Then, her taking conrad to the hospital like really upset him maybe
1: and there's so many questions unanswered so it's really
0: hard to know what really went down it's been 39 years since dorothy's abduction and murder and it still remains unsolved jacob passed away in 1994 and vera in 2002 sean is still seeking justice for his mother
1: If you or someone you know is a victim of stalking and you need assistance, you can call 855-4-victim or go to victimsofcrime.org.
0: All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to our episode of Crime Talk with TNC. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I know there are a lot of crime podcasts out there to choose from. Time Talk with TNZ is hosted by Rhiannon Torino and Elizabeth Zambrano. Our music is by Elizabeth Zambrano. Our logo is by Alexander Zust.